from the campaign trail to the studio, Wesley Hunt continues the fight. Along with his brother, Rendon, they chronicle their family experience from slavery to West Point in four generations. Tackling the difficult conversations facing our country, they're on a mission to preserve the American dream. Buckle up and welcome aboard. You're in the hunt. I'm Wesley Hunt, and this is In the Hunt. I'm Rendon Hunt. This is In the Hunt. This is how we got here. Uh, I ran for United States Congress here in Houston, Congressional District 7. And like any other self-respecting human being who loses an election, what do you do? You call your best friend up and call your brother up and you say, hey, let's do a podcast. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> um, but happy to be here and happy to really kind of share our lives, our thoughts on the world, what we've seen, kind of what we've done, and quite frankly, to talk about how we feel about this country and how I believe it's the greatest country in the world. And hopefully we could talk about ways to make us better. I always talk about as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And hopefully this can be a tool for people to listen to to get maybe some insight, get some perspective that get some perspective that they wouldn't have from other people. Uh, so without further ado, Randon, why don't you tell 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 everyone about yourself, how you got here, and absolutely. You know, one of the things that I always what think it feels about. like to be the lesser brother. <laughs> I tell you. One of the things I always think about is we started this because we have a lot of conversations day in and day out. Wesley's my best friend. We talk all of the time for hours and hours and hours a day. And when you share that with people, they see how unique the relationship that we have is. And I would say for me, living life and having a partner to live life with has been a blessing that I've had that I think has been anything that's been beyond any measure I could ever imagine. Wesley and I are 10 months and eight days apart. And the story I often tell people is my parents had this wonderful little baby. Here we go. And they saw this baby and they, they looked at him and they, they marveled at him. And the first thing they said after was, I think we can do better. That's funny. <laughs> so 10 months and eight days later, later, you get me. Well, the thing that we've had throughout our whole lives is we've had an advocate in each other. I've never really understood this idea of sibling rivalry. Yeah. Because more than anything in my life, I've always wanted Wesley to succeed. I've always wanted him to fulfill his dreams. And quite frankly, our destinies are intertwined in every way. So this is an opportunity for us to get together and talk about what that really means. The original idea that we had for a podcast is Wesley was thinking about running for office is how do we do a podcast that chronicles running for office day by day, what we're going through, what that looks like. Unfortunately, we couldn't do that because I have a full-time job, and Wesley was in the full-time job of running for <laughs> office. So unfortunately, we couldn't put that together. But this is really an opportunity for us to bring to light a lot of the conversations that we have. I think that in this day and age and in this country, we're in a place where people want to focus on negative stories. And they want to focus on negative stories in terms of rivalry and tension between people, rivalry and tension between political parties, rivalry and tension between different races. People want to focus on all the negative that's associated with that. When in reality, Wesley and I have been in a situation where we feel like we've lived the American dream. 
we've lived in a family that is one generation removed from poverty and now you have three children our sister included who all got degrees from west point all went on to get master's degrees and have figured out how to navigate things as best as we can in this country, but I think perhaps even more importantly, still trying to figure out how we can make a positive impact for the future. And that's what this is really born of, is how can we continue to have these conversations? How can we highlight the positivity that's in our culture? And just as much as some of the negative stories are part of the story of America, so are some of the positive ones. And I found it really frustrating that we're not telling those stories. Yeah. And every time you flick on the news, you see something negative happen. This person is, is, is not able to fulfill their dreams. This person is, is held back in this country. But part of what I, what, what I see in that is the people who are having positive experiences aren't willing to step up and talk about that. Yeah. There's almost a, a fear of, of having these conversations about positivity, about the opportunity that's available about what this country has done for families like the Hunt family. And one thing, especially being on a trail that I always brought up, and this is something that I am actually, we are actually very proud of, and that's, I always talk about our great-great-grandfather. His name was Silas Crawford. He was a slave. He was born on Rosedown Plantation, just north of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Just as you noted, three of his great-great-grandchildren attended West Point. You earned your MBA from Harvard. In order to compete with that Harvard MBA, I was forced to get three master's degrees from Cornell because whenever your brother goes to Harvard, you have to realize that you got you got to you have to do something significant at that point. And it's still not enough. It's huge. <laughs> it's still uh, not enough. <laughs> Cornell, have you heard of it? It's, 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 have you heard of it? It's pretty good, it's pretty school. good school. I'm saying, just throwing it out. There. It's, it's, it's fine. It's good school. Um, and I look at my sister, who went on to do 23 years active duty in the army, has her master's degree in applied mathematics. And all this happened being direct descendants of slaves. Now, nobody ever talks about how that's actually a very positive sign because in a very truncated period of time, we traveled a very long distance. We will never dismiss the ills of our past. And we all, every country, every person, every family, every tribe has a dark side of it. But I really like the point that we're trying to bring, and that's let, let's let's focus and build on the positive attributes of this country. And that doesn't mean that we just ignore the negative either. It doesn't mean that at all. And in fact, in fact, it needs to be acknowledged. But to your point, Rendon, it, it's the positive is not being acknowledged at all. Yeah. This yeah. literally is the land of the free and, and the home of the brave. You can literally be a direct descendant from poverty, slavery, you name it. And you could be somebody here. And that's what this is about. And, and there's this idea, this idea of the future is, is better than our past. Yeah. Consistently. And there was one time, so I spent some time in the Navy. We'll tell, probably delve into that from time to time. I somehow went to West Point, ended up in the Navy. Another story for another day. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we know why you're in the Navy, bro. <laughs> so, oh, you I, Navy boys. I, I'll never, I'll never forget. I was, I was on watch in the in the Northern Arabian Gulf. This was probably circa 2007, and one of the things that we had on ships were, you know, these DVD collections that were kind of like contraband. You know, if you have the next season of Lost or the next season of Heroes, I mean, if you can get that to watch that after watch, I mean, that, those things are like contraband. I have to have them. And at the time, there were a couple of shows that were big. One of them was The Tudors. 
okay? And so you think about old English culture and things of that sort. And I was on the bridge one time, and the bridge is where you stand watching the Navy, and I was standing this really late watch, and it's called the Rev, Rev Watch for Revly Watch, 2 o'clock to 7 o'clock in the morning. So on some end, it's brutal because you've spent a whole day, then you have watch coming up in the morning. But on the other end, it's kind of nice because you get to see the ship come alive. Not only do you get to see the ship come alive, but you have some really interesting conversations with people from 2 o'clock to 7 o'clock in the morning when everybody's kind of delirious. Dude, and wants dude to we get all know y'all sat there on the bridge and y'all watched, like, Sleepless in Seattle <laughs> no. together. Yeah, you did. No. Yeah, it's okay. You could admit it. You could totally admit it. You, no. watched, you, you watched The Notebook. So what? <laughs> so, uh, so I remember I was, I was up there on the bridge, and uh, there was another officer and I was helping teach her how to stand the watch. And as we were talking about shows that we were watching, she made a comment that I thought was really interesting. She said, you know, hey, uh, you, know, you know, Lieutenant Junior Grade Hunt, like, hey, Lieutenant Junior Grade Hunt, if you could live in any period of time, what period of time would you choose to live in? And of course, this question was rooted in, hey, we got these series going on. The Tudors was back then. Old English should be interesting to live in that time period. And the first thing in my mind I went to was, I'm black. Now is pretty good. <laughs> I don't want to go back 10. Tomorrow is pretty good. And I mean, I came up with some with some ho hum answer because she she didn't mean to say that in a, in a negative way, and I, I it, it, that's not what she meant. But these are some of these relics in the, in this country in general, where there's things that people say, there's there's where we've been in our past that affects how we view not only the country now, but how we view the future too. Yeah. And so as I think about our future being way brighter than our past, certainly for Black Americans. Our future is way, way brighter than our past it's is. Way better. And I, I think I think about my children. I think about my two nieces on your side. You're talking about they're all biracial. I mean, my wife is biracial. She's half Mexican, half black. Half yeah. Mexican American, half half black. Yeah. And you'll notice, you'll hear this from me frequently. I say black and not African American because. A, I'm very proud to be a black American, yeah. and B, the descriptor that you're trying to get to when you talk about me is not whether or not I have African descent. It's is my is my skin brown black. or black. Yeah. Okay, so and I'm very proud to be a black man. There's no insult there in calling me a black fact, American. In fact, I prefer I'm with you. I prefer I, to be called a black guy. I'm a black guy. Yeah, that, I'm yeah. a black American and very and very proud of it. And interestingly enough, as I think about the our kids in the generation that that they're growing up in. They are so much better off in terms of seeing people on equal footing. Mm -hmm. When I tell my daughter to describe people, once again, when you say black, white, blonde, brown hair, these are not things that are, are negatives. These are merely descriptors. descriptors. That's it. That's it. We, our generation, and don't even get me started on the generation, the generation ahead, of, ahead of that or the generation ahead of that, we somehow have said black can be offensive, so let's call them African Americans. First of all, I don't even know who said that. We somebody said it. I don't even know who started that. Somebody said it. Have you ever noticed around white people they get really uncomfortable when you say black, right? I mean, it, it's like it, it describe this person. 
Well, he's a tall uh, African American <laughs> gentleman. He has a he has a, quite a tan uh, on him. Uh, I don't know how to uh, African American. <laughs> like, dude, it's a black guy, man. It's it's cool. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> and somehow in our culture, we've transitioned yeah. to a place where where that's offensive. It's offensive to say to say somebody's black. And my whole whole thing is, man, take back that narrative. Yeah. Tell me, like, oh, what was he looking? Good looking black guy. I'll take that. That's they're they are descriptors. Yeah. That's it. And when we think and about I think our, our kids, kids, our kids grow, are growing up in that world to where they are. they are accepting that as just being descriptors. Yeah. And nothing more. It's not loaded. Yeah. And for whatever reason, over the course of the past few years, that's now become a loaded term. These these terms are loaded. That, that's not that, that's not the world that we live in today. It's the world we yeah. used to live in. Absolutely. And it becomes more important to me to kind of ascertain this information from them. Because sometimes, you know, I'm just I'm just curious. I mean, you know, Esther Esther is my daughter. She's seven. Esther will come home and say she played with this kid, this kid, or this kid. And here's where I have to dig deep into myself. I'm kind of wondering, well, who is this kid? And, where, you know, describe the kid. Yeah. She doesn't care. But there's a piece of me that's wondering, that's curious. Yes. Why? Yes. And so she describes the kid. It's like, well, you know, uh, you know, she has curly hair. Does she look more like <laughs> me? Or does she look more like dad's friend craig oh she looks more like you okay <laughs> okay we're getting somewhere is her hair curlier than yours <laughs> and this is this is this yeah. is where we get but we're projecting our insecurities on them and they don't even have them and they don't have them yet they don't have them they don't have them yet and it's a conversation that we always have about about the greatest generation right yeah this conversation all the time about how it's easy to try to poo-poo things and say, well, they're not the greatest generation because of the way that they treated minorities yeah, and with, social with no justice. Con- with no context of timing and, and space and, and where we were in the world at that time as well. With no context. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we want to parse specific things, once again, from a social justice standpoint, our greatest generations should be the generations to come over and yes. over and over again. I think when I talk about the, the World War II generation— and you know, I, I tend to read a lot of books on on the subject. We're talking about bravery, heroism, we're stepping talking, up to the plate, we're saving the world, running into a barrage of machine gun fire at Normandy. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And, and not just that, the entire country transforming itself to become a war fighting machine, creating basically, essentially, the world power that we are today. Because we decided to wrap ourselves in the flag and go defend freedom. Yes. Now, these weren't perfect people that did that by any stretch of the imagination. But if you want to sit here and deny the heroism that it took to do that, oh. and then just think if you asked this generation and the next generation right now, these people to, to, to do the same thing, I guarantee you. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. No, you know, we, we, no y'all, y'all handle that. You know, we'll let the West Point people handle that. No, no, no. This oh. entire country transformed itself to fight absolutely that's remarkable yes it is and when you if you read any of the accounts and and i'll have to give a shout out to my marine corps brethren if you read accounts of world war ii of peleliu iwo jima yeah okinawa what they were dealing with in these (sighs) battles the conditions the fighting conditions the heroism yes of those men yes it's incredible and, and, and you've heard this from me before. I, one of the things I think often about 
and it really gives you perspective of our culture and where we are now. I was talking to a family member and they were asking how would I feel about my son or daughter going to West Point? And it's an interesting question because when you have a kid that their father, their both of their uncles and their aunt all went to West Point, it's a pretty provocative question. And I made the comment, I said, well, first of all, if they want to go, I will be fully supportive because there is nothing more noble yeah. that you can do than to choose to serve this country. Nothing. And I really, I really believe that. Nothing. I believe that. And it's why when you decided to run for office, one of the proudest moments of my life was when you decided to run. Yeah. And, and you told me that. And, and I tell you, the interesting thing for this is I was talking to a family member, and this family member said, yeah, but what if they're putting their, themselves in harm's way? <laughs> well, well, sometimes that's the point. That's, that's, how, that's right? how that works. And, and, and that's, what, that's what sacrifice <clears throat> means. But one of the things that I feel is broken about our culture right now is we're fine putting other people's kids in harm's way. But not my kids. But if you ask me to put my kid in harm's way, oh, that's for other people. And let me tell you what, I don't feel this way. Me neither. At all. And do you know who didn't feel this way either? The greatest generation. Hey. Hey. Do any of us want our kids to fight and potentially die of course for this country? No, we don't. Am I willing to put my kids in a position where they can fight and potentially die for this country? Absolutely. Of course. Somebody has to do it. Absolutely. And it's because I love them. Yeah. And if they make the decision to put their lives in harm's way to, to, to defend this country, and if they don't make it back, God bless them. Yes. That's beautiful. Yes. They, 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 if, they, if there is something they care that much about, that they'd be willing to put themselves in harm's way. That's amazing. I mean, you know, my, my faith is very important to me. I know your faith is very important to you. You know, whenever whenever we talk, we we have we have our bracelets that we always wear. And yours is Emily Perez, who lived a couple of doors down from me at West Point. I'll let you talk more about her. She was your classmate. And I'll always talk about my dear friend David. This is the bracelet that I wear every day um, to commemorate his death. And the issue that I have is that I want to make sure that nobody ever forgets their sacrifice. Okay, because they gave their lives so we could wake up in the morning and put our feet on free American soil and breathe free American air. And they did it, potentially knowing that they wouldn't wake up one morning. And they did not. And it is incumbent upon us to wake up every day and continue to live their legacy and to continue to promote those that want to continue the American dream because people died for it. And I lost 14 of my classmates, and I always talk about them every single time I have the opportunity to do so because their deaths are not in vain, they will never be in vain, and if anybody wants to take this country for granted, you are forgetting people that did not see the age of 30 yeah. fighting on behalf of this country. And I don't care how you feel about what war or what the cause is, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyone who gives their lives because the country asked them to do it is a noble cause. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had a moment, it was actually this morning, where I was watching TV with my son, right? And 
one of those. Well, movies. How, long, how long would he keep still for? Five seconds. I was watching TV. He was playing with Monster Jam. Right? Two seconds longer than I thought he was. And so I'm watching TV, and one of those Wounded Warrior Foundation commercials comes on, right? And it was a guy who was burnt unrecognizably, okay? And as you know, I'm not an, an, an emotional person, really. Yeah, you don't say. Right? <laughs> really. <laughs> Dr. Spock, if you will. That doesn't do much. <laughs> and Wright saw that guy on TV, and he said, that guy looks weird. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a three year old. Okay. What a wonderful moment to tell him about sacrifice and service, mm-hmm. dedication, mm-hmm. commitment. So we paused the TV and we had this young man up there and we talked about why he looked like that. He looked like that because he was willing to fight for me and you and your sister and your mom. Yep. We know lots of people like that too, by the way. Yeah. That's why he looks like that. Yep. And these are things that are a flash in the pan. It's a, it, it, it's a commercial that you see. It's, it's somebody who walks by. It's, it's not being willing to recognize the moments in our lives that are a little bit off tilter. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times do we see something like that and we just ignore the comment? Or how many times do you see people that are homeless and you just kind of drive by, you roll up the window? People who are really suffering. How many times do we as a culture see that and decide to move on? And more importantly, we're willing to talk about ad nauseum and, and put the news on whatever station you want to watch. We're willing to talk ad nauseum about a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter yeah. and disagreements that don't really matter. And we're not willing to address what's happening in our communities right in front of us. Yes. And that's why even when you ran for office, that's why for me, people got really, and this is something that I definitely want people to understand the difficulty of this. You got some thick skin, brother. Yeah. Because what people don't understand when they throw these salvos on Twitter or write these direct Facebook messages, what people don't understand. Or send me direct text messages. Or send you text messages. Like, these are people who have known us (laughs) our whole lives. And the second you decide to do something to make a difference, to stand up and say something, the second you decide to do that, Well, I think you're on the wrong side of the fence, so I can't believe that you're doing this. I can't believe, like, just everything negative. And I can tell you, that's what I think is wonderful about us being being willing to say this. I'm jumping in this ocean with you. I'm asked out with you. Because here's the thing. I know that every single time we do an episode of this podcast, I will say something that I will get peppered for saying. I know that. But you're prepared for this because you watched me go through this for the last two years. Hell yeah. And this is, and, yeah. and you know what I always focus on? This is what I think you've always rooted me in and grounded me in as well. And that's focusing on the positive. 
Because you see, for every negative or for every idiot or for every jackass that says or does something that's utterly ridiculous and out of line on Facebook, social media, or you name it, I could name a hundred people <laughs> that have something very positive to say that have been very encouraging. One story I always tell is one of my Cornell classmates, who is a very liberal guy, found out that I was running for office. We forged a pretty good friendship during my time at Cornell. And he called me up. He's an investment banker in New York. He called me up. He's a Bernie bro, too, if you can imagine. Yeah, yeah, sure. he, said, he said, Wesley, look, I, I see you're running for office. Just sing you some money. And, it was a, and he sent me a good amount of money. He goes, Wesley, I probably wouldn't even vote for you if I lived there. <laughs> but, but I know you're a good guy. And we need good leadership on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat. So for every bad story that's like that, I am, I am also reminded of how much support that we have gotten from our communities. Yeah. And at some point, when you do put yourself out there in this capacity, like, like, like basically we've done our entire lives yeah. or in running for office, what you oftentimes accept is that the human condition is for us to spend 99% of the time on 1% of the problem. Oh. Instead of realizing that that 1% is just that 1%, but by God, how about we spend 99% of the time on the good and 1% of the time on the bad and negative? In order to run for office, you have to get that down very well and get it down pat, or else you will drive yourself crazy. Yeah, yeah. You also have to be very confident with who you are and mm-hmm. what you believe in and what you've done and your sacrifice and what you stand for as an individual. Yeah. And if you don't have the makings of that, starting a podcast, running for office, you can't do it. Yeah. My biggest fear is that we are now entering a world to where everyone is canceling everything no matter what. Yeah. The good, the bad, the ugly. Every, everything is canceled no matter what. We don't even get to listen and hear what somebody is really trying to say or do because before you could even get to a viable explanation, they're canceled. Yeah. yeah. And this is part of the reason why we're doing this too. Because in my opinion, especially given what we've seen in this past year, as two black men that have had the American experience and the black experience. And although it may not be what the stereotypical meaning of a black experience is, it doesn't make our experience any less black than anybody else's. That's right. And unfortunately, voices like ours don't get heard because it's not the traditional sense of that. Well, I'm here to tell you, you and I have been black for almost 40 years. Yeah. And still are. Yeah. And this is our story. It's also a black story. And proud of it. Absolutely. Proud of it. You know, I, I think a lot about when you talk about, you know, for every positive, uh, for every negative that you see, there's multiple positives. I told you about this when I started doing it. When I started doing it with my kids is for every time you complain about something, you have to come up with three things that you're thankful for. And at first it was one of those full house moments as a dad where I'm like, oh, yeah, you can think about things <laughs> to be thankful for. Like it was one of those moments, right? But at a certain point in life, hey, and Uncle Jesse, hey, hey Uncle, Uncle Jesse, <laughs> cut it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those, one of those moments, right? And after a while, I started to realize, and this is why why teaching, coaching is so important in life, because at a certain point, you start drinking your own Kool Aid. Yeah, and that's why parenting is so crazy. Because at a certain point, I'm, I'm telling them, hey, you need to be thinking about things that are positive. Well, well, I started doing that. It goes for you, too. So for every negative thing I started thinking about, well, hey, you need to think about three things that, that 
you're positive on that you're excited about. And let me tell you, you know me, I don't complain at all anymore. Yeah. Because I don't have the bandwidth to think about three things every time I complain. <laughs> it's like, man, this is hard. This is like, I'm, 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 I'm just going to leave that alone. I was going to not complain. Wow. So I don't have to worry about anything. Wow. I'm just, I'm just not going to complain at all. What was that gospel song, Crying with a Loaf of Bread Under Your Arm? Oh, man. You remember that Marcy played all the time? Dude? Yes. It, it's, like, it's like we in this country complain and complain and complain, but you and I have been overseas. We've seen other countries. We've been on other continents. It is fascinating to me to see how much we complain oh. as a culture. And what I don't like is that when you complain this much, we start to create more victims. Ooh. That's all we do. Yeah. Imagine being a young person and all you see is all the negativity and all the complaining. And then once that gets ingrained in your head, rather you can do something or be something different no longer matters at that point. No. You've conditioned yourself to be a victim and to be a second-class citizen. And at that point... There's no getting away from it. Yeah. That's why I applaud your parenting efforts, and I try to do the same thing with my kids. You're not going to hear me tell them what you can't or can't do ever. Mm -mm. You're never going to hear me blame somebody else. You're never going to hear me, you know, you didn't get something. Well, that's because of the color of your skin. No, no, no. You will never hear that from me. No. Because in this country, I could name a million, <laughs> millions of people that have it way worse than you. Yeah. And here's the thing I don't have to imprison you. If you've imprisoned yourself. yourself, thank you. But Renda, we have parents that are imprisoning their children all the time. Sadly, all the time. Because my mentality has always been, and our backgrounds are representative of this. Shoot, my mentality has always been if I'm not trying to make an excuse as to why I could or couldn't do something, I need to be so good that it's overwhelming. It doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter. And have there been times in my life where I probably haven't gotten things for X, Y, Z reason or because of the color of my skin? Sure. Yeah, there, there, there's probably been times. But once again, do I focus on that? No. Dude, that's like focusing on people not liking you. <laughs> I mean, you're, you, way, you're you, way more likable than me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, so this is a funny thing. This, 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 is what, this, is what people, this is what people I don't think really realize about us. Uh, you know, you you are far more charming than I am. And, say, say it again. And I think <laughs> I'm a little bit better looking. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I, I'm a, yes, I, you're you're a nine point two. I'm a nine point three. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rounding error. What people don't really realize is you love being around people, and you're an extrovert. Yes. I'm an early judger of people, <laughs> and I'm an introvert. With extroverted tendencies. Yeah, that's, that, that's pretty eloquent. You know? <laughs> so all that to say, and, and that's what was so wonderful about, about watching you run for office. So is, you're saying you're a jerk. That, <laughs> no. 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 But that was just so great about watching you run for office is, you know, as, as my father-in-law says, you were in your pepper. Yeah. You know, like you, you were you were where you were supposed to be doing what you were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. That process was something that I think you were masterful at. And I, and I look forward to seeing you do it again. Of course, we're going to do it again. Because one of the things I think about, too, it's not only that, that you were masterful at, 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 at actually connecting with people and understanding what they want and telling your story. 
the thing that people don't understand about you is this whole notion that you're too good to be true. I mean, that's true. What they haven't seen is your ability to actually be a legislator. Yeah. You know, pe people automatically assume, and I, I thought about this all the time on, on the campaign trail, whenever I would go out with you, and once again, part of this is probably the, the extrovert versus introvert piece, but people would, would ask me, and I'm gonna couch this, the idiotic question of, why should we vote for your brother? <laughs> You always handle it really well, by the way. And every time somebody asks yeah. me that, I, I, I'm just like, yeah, why would you vote for the guy that has three degrees from Cornell, flew combat missions in Iraq, did a diplom diplomatic deployment in Saudi Arabia, is a member of this community and cares deeply about this community, is a dedicated husband, is a dedicated father, is a dedicated brother, all that, and he wants to do this, knowing that 50% of people will talk trash about him, they'll slander him on Twitter, they'll take pictures of him while he's out, knowing that, and this dude wants to do that, and you're asking me why we shouldn't propel a person like that who wants to lead, who has the track record to lead, why should you vote for him? Hell, I'm like, find me better. Yeah. Find me, because my whole thing is, if you can find me better than that, I'm excited about our future. Yeah. I'm really excited about our future. You know, now, here's the funny thing. I can say that you can't because you're the candidate, but I can say that. Yeah. I can say as somebody who knows you better than anybody else, who is the direct beneficiary of your leadership skills, I can say that. Because we think that there's just this unbelievable amount of leaders who have these great backgrounds there's and all not. this kind of stuff. There ain't that many, there's for, not. first of all. And the and second then, and piece then those, is— And then being willing to do this is the other side. The ones that you have—I mean, you talk about people going into banking and, and consulting. Let me tell you, not only is Congress a thankless job, um, people who— can raise millions of millions of dollars to have people follow them to get elected could go and do other things too that's more financially lucrative. Certainly is. So then we end up in this place where we truly do have a political class of people because it's kind of like the idea, and I had so many friends that asked, asked me as, as the process was going, well, well, you know, how, how is, uh, what is he going to do for work during this time? With what time? It's tough. With what time? He's running for office full time. Oh, by the way, his wife had a baby in the middle of this. It's tough. And a two-year-old. Almost two-year-old. Victoria. Right? Yeah. And once again, it's this almost masochistic notion of, a, of leaders who not only have led once, who not only have, have, have given freely years of their lives, but want to do it again. So why should we vote for that person and get them in? God, we should be thankful that people like that actually want to serve. Do you know why we do this? Do you know how it, we do this? Hmm. We already talked about the people. It's, it's, when you put it like that, it, it sounds like a pretty daunting task to get up and realize that if 49.999% of the people don't like you and don't vote for you, that's a win. Particularly when we always grow up thinking, you know, the more people that do like us, then the better we feel. Yeah. So you have to shelf your preconceived notions and, and your human condition and accept the fact that 
no matter what, half the people are probably not going to like you, period. Okay. And then I think to myself, every day, just about every day, particularly on some of the more tough days, particularly when some friends would do things that I thought were friends or close people that have known us for a long time would send us some ridiculous stuff that is this or post on Facebook that had, that are completely antithetical to what you even know about us or watched about us. And we'll get on that. We'll get on that a little bit later. Yeah. I think about Emily and I think about hmm. Dave. I mean, come on. Yeah. This is not that hard. When you think about the people that sacrifice their lives, eh, sticks and stones can break your bones. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You get real good at, at reminding yourself as to why you're here. Dave Frazier can't run for office. Hmm. Emily Perez, who could have been the president, will never be the president. What do you mean my feelings get hurt? Yeah. The long gray line of us stretches. The long gray, that long gray line blood runs in us. Yeah. And as difficult as it might be at times, and you're right, it, it, it's some tough times. I, I'm, I'm the first to admit that. It's not fun. We have to do it for them. Well, and here's a piece of this that gets that got really hard for me throughout this whole process. I can take the criticism on me. And me too. I, I know where you're going with this. I have no problem. If somebody wants to say something about me, hey, Rendon, you stink. Or, hey, I don't like you. Yeah, sometimes you do stink. No, man, I, this is... Maybe not today, but... like, No, man, this is some nice cologne. <laughs> you like it? Let me wash some of that over to you. I want that funk over here. I want that funk over here. So I can take that to myself, or, or I can take that myself, but one thing that people don't realize, once again, it's a relationship that we have that I assumed growing up that everybody had a plug-and-play best friend for their whole life. It, it, they don't, really. I assume that everybody had that. And we have a couple of friends who are, who are brothers, like the Tips brothers are a good example. Yep, the Tips close. twins are they're a good close. example of that. I always assume that people grow up having a best friend that they can talk to, that they can share life with, that they're not jealous of, that they want to do great things in Renner, life. Renner, for the first 22 years of my life, we were in the same place for 20 of them. Yeah. Singing year, singing year at St. John's when I was at West Point. It's a glorious year. <laughs> you missed me. <laughs> let's keep it. Let's keep well, it. I miss you because you, you didn't drive me around anymore. <laughs> You're such a... Yeah, I'm driving Miss Daisy. Here I didn't have a chauffeur. <laughs> remember how bad you used to get when I would sit in the back of the car? You... No, I wouldn't, let you, I wouldn't drive. I wouldn't leave. You're not sitting in the, not your chauffeur. You're not sitting in the get back the front of the front seat. Get in the front seat. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. There was that time and then... Um, at West Point. Yeah. When I went to the Army, and it was your senior year at West Point. So, yeah. so out of 22 years, you were there for 20 of them, which I find to be remarkable. Yeah. And I thought, and to your point, I thought everybody had that. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 you don't. Well, and, and that's why going through that whole process, and I had to, I had to just let go of social media. Yeah. Completely. Because going through that whole process— I wouldn't get spun up if somebody said ne something negative about me because part of me is saying I probably deserve it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so part of me is like, whatever they're saying, I might have got off with something else. <laughs> I probably, I probably that. deserved it. I, I've, I've earned that in some way. <laughs> but watching people say negative 
things about you, and it goes it goes into the ad hominem attacks. Negative things about you, your wife, yeah. my nieces. Yeah. Whoa. Just seeing what, what people are capable of from an ad hominem attack standpoint. Negative things about our parents. Yeah. That, to me, was the hardest part of it, was not feeling like I could stand up enough for you. Not that you need me to stand up for you. I understand exactly what you mean. I feel the same way about you. But not feeling that I could stand up enough for you. And that was was unbelievably hurtful. Yeah. And and this goes beyond either side of the aisle. I mean, look, you you've you've seen me think about politics and things like that my whole life, heard yes. my thoughts on this. I mean, when have you ever heard me make an ad hominem attack about Never. a political candidate? Never. Never. It's not right. Never. We can talk about policies. We can talk about, about differences of, of opinion. Yes. And and we can also... We can talk about voting records. Yeah. That's all fair game. Yeah. Yes. And I, also seeing somebody go through it, when you see somebody go through the process of trying to get elected, I mean, literally, this is somebody who's standing in the line to get punched in the face, right? I mean, people are trying to get elected so that everybody then jumps on them and says negative things. Like People don't realize how difficult that is. And so my whole thing is when there's Democrats, Republicans, anybody who's running, I'm like, hey, thank you for being the Teddy Roosevelt man or woman in the arena and choosing to do this. I don't have to agree with everything that 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 you but, say. But you appreciate. But I appreciate out. the fact that somebody is going to step up and do this. Yeah. And it goes back to what we talked about before with with kids. The idea of of with kids, are you willing to send your kids out? I mean, hell, I know that was hard for mom and dad too. Of course it was. I know that was hard for them to see people say negative things about you. Yeah. It would be hard for any parent. Yes. Be extremely difficult and, and 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 then at the end of the day you know there's leaders and there's followers and at, and at the end of the day and at the end of the day i said there's it, leaders it's, it's, and there's followers and there's followers <laughs> that's right and i chose and our family has chosen to be leaders and this is what happens you got you got you got you got to take the arrows you got to take all the hits but Look at what we've done. Look at our backgrounds. This is this is the path. This is this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. But I, and I'll tell you what, I would rather be criticized for action than ignored for inaction. That's exactly right. That's what you have to accept when you want to do this kind of stuff. That's what you have to accept. And then you go through all this. You work your tail off for two years. You, you become one of the more recognizable faces of the party in the entire country. You, what in my opinion, outworked my opinion, in my opinion, outworked my opponent probably five to one, still getting out there. I get COVID. My whole family gets COVID. We have to recover from that, but still recovered from that. Yeah. Still was able to get on Joe Rogan's podcast. Still was able to be in that awesome video with Dan Crenshaw. To go through all of this... All of this, and you lose. 
hey man, it's like white men can't jump. Sometimes when you win, you really lose. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when you lose, you, lose, you really win. You, and sometimes, sometimes when you lose or win, you really, <laughs> you really tie. tie. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I'll have a conversation with anyway sometimes. I don't, no, I don't get it. But, 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 but you lose. And then the next question is, is this, and I want to bring this point home because it's uh, something that you brought to my, to my opinion, that, that you brought to my attention. That's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent opinion. And I remember the next day, it was a very rough day for me, as you could probably imagine, because uh, we worked very hard for the last two years. I felt like, at the end of the day, you let people down. I remember getting home at about 2 o'clock in the morning and going up, and the girls were asleep, and I kissed them both, and I apologized because I was doing this for them, too, and Daddy didn't get it done. It was a very rough time for me. And I remember that morning waking up, and you called, and we were talking, and then I said, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm going to do it again. I have to run again because just because you lose, what kind of example do you set? I don't get what I want, so then I take my toys in the corner and go play, and then I'm never going to run again. Like who? I mean, what is that? Is that a leader? No. That, that, that's not leadership. You don't always win. That's convenient. And you wonder what you said? There was a fellowship that I applied for a few years ago, and I didn't get it. And I didn't apply again. Remember what you told me? I know you didn't want it really all that badly because you didn't apply for it again. And you're right. Let's fast forward to this example right here, running for office. We lose, it's a gut punch. Still reeling for it, still trying to figure out what could we have done better. But I'm already back in the saddle. Because I realize that I don't want, it's even more about me wanting this. Our country needs this. Hey. Our country didn't need me to be in a fellowship, but our country needs this. Yeah. We have to have voices like this. Yes. We have to have leaders. And and honestly, it's those leaders who have thick skin yeah. who are willing to step through the shrapnel that is 2020 America. Yes. Because here's here's the issue. The good people, I find one thing pretty consistent about good people. Good people don't like it when everybody thinks they're a jerk. Yeah. 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 Think about the good people you know. You don't see good people rolling around, <laughs> you know, like 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 what's the dude in the in the Minions movie? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like like you know, good people aren't rolling around and everybody's getting out of their way like they stink like the Grinch. Yeah. That, that, that's not what happens with good people. Good people, generally, at least like to be considered good people, and that's kind of important. Yeah. I mean. It's Politics important. punts that like a Shane Leckler Pro Bowl punt. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the things that we, like, yes, does our country need you? Yeah. Our country also somehow needs these good people who have thick enough skin to deal with the fact that people aren't going to like them. Yes. And, and here's the thing, too. That don't even know you. That don't even know you. It, it, it goes back to... Have had a to, conversation with me. Oh. Not had a conversation. You've never met me. You, you, you know nothing about me. Yeah. It goes back to, to every performance review that I've ever had in my professional career. I can't tell you one positive thing that has been said to me. You could tell you all that... This but is I can tell you every, every single criticism. Yeah. I could tell you the, you smile too much. 
what kind of criticism is that, but okay. okay. I could tell you every single criticism of every performance review that I've had, and I can't tell you any of the positive. Yeah. And that's what high-performing people tend to do. Because high-performing people want to stay high-performing. Yes. So in order to stay high-performing, a lot of them aren't focusing on what they're doing well. They're focusing on where they can improve. But that can be extremely destructive behavior. And it becomes even more destructive if you don't have somebody like I'm recognizing this. So I'm trying to be your Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. I'm trying to be your well, flavor, flavor flavor flavor. Your, your hype say, man. I'm going to say flavor flavor. I'm going to get you a clock, man. <laughs> I'll wear it. The, the, the next election cycle, I'll, you, I'll, I'll wear it with pride. I'll, I'll wear it as long as we can wear tag team champions belts. Done. 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 <laughs> Done. But I mean, you and, and that W.O. spray painted over top of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's when America was was awesome. That's when America was great. <laughs> That's when, when Hulk Hogan. It, when, Hulk, <laughs> <laughs> when these guys with steroids. When Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> came out with the beer truck and sprayed the Federation down with beer. I mean, have you ever thought, like, and, and I mean, first of all, res- wrestling in its entirety is just an, in- an incredible thing. Yeah. It's politics. Yes. It's politics. WWE is politics. Yes. And have you noticed how, how in, and it's still hard for me to say WWE because I'm a WWF yeah, guy. It's, e- yeah. it's even hard for me to make that, that was transition. It, was it like the Wild, wild, the wild, wild, the wild Wildlife World Wildlife, wild wildlife Federation. Federation? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, no it was way better. It was way better. way better. So, you know, what I think about is, think about some of those traditional heels who came up while we watch wrestling, right? Like, like The Undertaker. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, think think about some of those traditional heels, <laughs> and what ended up happening to a lot of those traditional heels is that they ended up becoming endearing. Yes, they did. Because at least they were authentic. Yes, they, they knew exactly who they were. Like when, when, I when remember, the dead man came out and his eyes closed, he took that hat off. You know, here's here's a guy. Here's a guy. That's known as the dead man. A grown man. <laughs> a grown man. Like, do you realize he can't be the undertaker to his wife and kids? I hope not. Uh, can you I hope can, not. Can you imagine? Can you imagine staying in character the all the time? No, it's like because because it's not like he can hide. This guy is 6'10, like 350 pounds. Yeah. So you're walking through the airport. Yeah, and that's know, another it, thing, it, quite it, frankly, that I realized uh, about you. It was one of those things, and I think COVID cut this off even more. It was so funny to hang out because you're famous. It was ridiculous. It was funny. Hey, yeah. we're, we're going to restaurants and like, oh, can I take a picture with Wesley Hart? <laughs> it was funny. And as a self-respecting dude, I've never been able to ask somebody to take a picture with him or ask them for their autograph or anything yeah. like that because I just it's it's just so – you don't know the person. You don't really know them, and and especially when people are with their families. So what I what I found was was always neat about it though was that here's somebody that recognizes me and is like, I, I a I support this guy number one. So yeah. if you're taking a picture, then then actually support you. Yeah, yeah. And B, it's almost their opportunity to get to know you. That's true. Taking a picture with somebody is an opportunity to say, at some point in the world and this time in this place, 
not only have I seen that guy on TV or the commercials or on podcast or this, we were actually here in this moment in space and we shared this time together. And that's why you're a politician and, and I'm that's not. <laughs> that's how I viewed it. Man. <laughs> I'm thinking, get out of my face, man. <laughs> no, I love it. Let no, me finish this it. hamburger. I love it. And I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. but and, and that was that was one of those things. It was it was really funny to see the famous piece of it and that interaction with people, because once again, that's very that's your character. Yeah. That's who you are. That's, who that's what you enjoy doing. But it's kind of like, I, I think about that all the time. It's pretty random to say I think about that all the time. I think about the Undertaker walking around and playing. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. All you Navy you guys think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you think about part of part of our lives is this idea of who are we trying to be? Yeah. What mask are we wearing? Like, I'll, I'll never forget. I was watching um, I was watching something that, that RuPaul was on. And she made a point that we're all in drag. It's just what are we in drag for, right? The that's idea the that's the interesting comment. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's the idea that, that we're all putting on a face for society. And what face are you putting on for society? Until, it, until, until you're the ones that don't. Yeah. And I think that's what yeah. that, that's what deline, that's what delineates a lot of veterans in general about that. There is there is no mask. Yeah. This is this is literally our this is our authentic self. Yeah. You know why? Because there's no point for a mask when, you, when you've been in combat. Yeah, that's fair. There's no point for a mask when you do four years at West Point. The mask, it's mask off. It's, yeah. I mean, it's future. It's mask off. Okay. <laughs> like, well, and and, it part, is. And, and and part of that, Wesley, is this is what we're. This is why doing something like this becomes bold. Because you have to be at a point in your life where you're comfortable taking that mask. So we off. couldn't have done this a few years ago, though. By no the way. way. Okay, because no because way. it took it took me running for office and really putting myself out there and getting tarred and feathered every now and again for absolutely no reason. People attacking your character and your service for absolutely no reason. I got another story about that. I'll tell later. I'm sure at some point that was just disgusting. And over the course of the past few years, at this point, oh no no no, it, this is. This is who we are. This is what I'm going to say, and I stand by it. And that's it. Yeah. And I think this is what's going to make this experience for both of us exponentially better than if it would have happened three or four years ago. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we're not going to be cautious in some of the things that we say. Of course we will, sure. because we want to be respectful, and yeah. and our you know kids and our parents are going to watch this, <laughs> probably. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe your kids. <laughs> 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 Unless there's a monster truck that rolls up yeah, right there, I, yeah, I, I got, know, no, right, I got no right, chance. Esther, Esther will watch. Esther this. might watch. Yeah, it, yeah. She, she's more sophisticated yeah, as she is, they, as they tend to be. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what's going to make this more provocative is, is the lessons that I've learned over the course of the past two years. And the one thing I get up every day and ask myself, and I literally do ask myself this every single day: What's the purpose for the loss? Mm. Why did I lose? What am I doing with this loss? What lessons did I learn? How am I going to be better? What am I going to do better the next time? What's the reason why? And it's hard to find that in the first few in the first few weeks. Sure. First to admit that. But this conversation right here is part of the reason for the loss. Yeah. Could you imagine if you got everything you wanted in life? It's it's the worst. It's 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 it it, it would make life not worth living. Yeah. If you always got what you wanted, man, it'd be horrible. It'd be awful, man. 
that's why people that oftentimes tend to have it all aren't happy at all. Because nobody's able to tell them no. Yeah. And they're miserable. Yeah. I think about that all the time, man. Yeah. I will say this, too. The same day of the election, the day after the election, I was not in a good mood and not wanting to get up and leave the house. Got a call from Michael Berry. Michael Berry said, he called me, I didn't answer the phone, then he texted me. He said, I, I, I want to meet with you. Michael Berry was one of my huge supporters, big fan of his as well. He goes, I, I want to sit down, I want to have a burger and a beer with you. And I'm like, not, to, not I mean, what are you doing? I'm, I'm with the family, and yada, yada. he basically sent me a text message. I'm not going to say exactly what was in the text message. Yeah, yeah. But basically, he's, he's get up, yeah. get up, put on some jeans, put on some flip-flops, and I'll be here. I'm assuming you're at your house. Yeah. I'll be there in five. I'll see you in 15. Yep. Got up, got out of bed, and met with Michael Berry. That was going to be an hour. We stayed out there for a couple of hours, and a burger and a beer or two and a cigar later, I left. When I think about that interaction, I think about that moment, I think about people that have your back and that are friends that want to see you succeed and want to continue to make sure that you stay in the fight and stay in the hunt. See what I did there? I see what you did there. If you will. That's why you lost. Because you forge these friendships. You find out who has your back. You find out how close are we. You, for example... The last two days, you have a very busy job. You have a very good job, very busy job, and you have a lot to do, a lot of responsibilities. Two days, the election day of the day before, you took off work. And you rode around with me for 48 hours straight leading up to the election. That means more to me than anything that you could ever fathom or imagine. People talk about having a brother and having a friend, meant more than you could ever imagine. And then it does around the time we had Cade driving us around in his car, yeah. and we were literally just speeding, going from polling location to yeah. polling location, doing hits here, videos here, stopping in restaurants, just doing what we could at the very end to get every single vote that we possibly could. And part of it, Wesley, is there's this piece of taking ownership because I love that you can see that from that perspective. Because the thing that I feel I have to live with is I feel I didn't do enough. Well, you didn't want enough. You know? No, no, no. no, no. Because, once again, you have jobs, you have things going on, there's a perspective, there's getting out there and doing things. And there's and every time I and, picked up the phone for the last two years and called you and I feel like I didn't four get, times I didn't a day, enough, at man. that point, at that phase, that's all you really need. You, every now and again, you need just two or three people in your life. By the, by the, by the time... You're in your second year running for office after a primary. You find out that, that your circle of friends becomes a dot. Yeah. If you had five friends going in office, you're coming out with two or three. Yeah. And you know, and, and those two or three are the ones that don't harass you. They don't bother you. They don't, have, they don't expect anything from you. They just say, hey, I know you're busy. I'm here if you need me. Yeah. And at that point, that's really all you need. You are certainly one of those people. And you'll, but you've been the, you've been that person for thirty eight years. See, this is this yeah. is not new. I can't imagine what it would be like to run for office and not have two or three of those people. Yeah. To pick up the phone and answer and just talk, because there's a lot of buffoonery that goes on. That it, it's it's just so 
ridiculous and in my opinion just flat out un-American. <laughs> and the way that we should treat this process has got to be a little bit more civil. Now, I don't think we're going to get there, but that doesn't mean that I can't be hey, more civil. Hey, hey. That doesn't mean that I can't be You're in of what you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm only in control of what I say and what I do. Yeah. You can't hold me accountable for what somebody else does. Yeah. And we saw that in your – I mean, that's that's what – that's the ages the age-old problem in politics is trying to tie everybody who supports you – to their agenda. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's not necessarily true. Right? Yeah, that's... They're not me. Like, I, look, I, I think politics is very similar to uh, to religion in this. I'm not going to find a single pastor that I agree with everything they say, yeah. and I'm not going to find a single politician that I agree with everything they say. So I, I was talking... That's a, that's a Never. Point. I, I was talking about this to a friend of ours, and, and I was. they were basically asking me, like, so why are you a Republican? I said, well, let me be clear about something. I don't agree with everything in our platform. Wait, wait, that that's ridiculous. And as you as a Democrat, do you agree with everything, with everything Joe Biden and Kamala Harris has said in, in, throughout, throughout their entire careers? Well, no. Well, well, why would that be the same for me? What I can tell you is that in my top five things— Some people say cucumber tastes better pickle. Huh? Huh? What? Why, huh? Who? That's <laughs> 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 what you think. I—the top five things for me— that I align more with that I think is in the best interest of this country happen to be, I think, higher on the list of Republican values. That's all. Yeah. And guess what? I get to have that, and you don't get to shame me for it, just like I don't shame you for your top five or top one or two. Yeah, if you're a one-issue voter, at least you know who you at are. At least you know what you want. Cool. Cool. I, I don't like that. I don't like when, when, when people say a, a, a one-issue voter, what they say, a one-issue voter is— an ignorant voter or or in or no. no that's ridiculous they've just been able to prioritize what they want that's it and and who and am i to, and who, one, and who and am I to tell them what they can and can't prioritize that's ridiculous you know i i think a lot of this happens too it's it's emblematic of in our culture we have run away from having deep conversations with people yes we run away from it we avoid it like the plague so twitter snapshot we're, headline we're and, and, we live. and I wouldn't even go as far as to say it's anti-confrontational. I mean, it's downright just passive-aggressive. Like, we don't want to have difficult conversations to even get to know people. I'll give you an example. In business settings, people always tend to say, hey, you know, we don't talk about religion, politics, or family. Right? And I'm like... That's the most important thing. Dude. If you don't talk about religion, politics, and family to me... You don't know anything about, about me. me. Well. Nor do you want to know anything about me. You know me. If you know me for five seconds, you will know Religion, where I stand politics. on those three things. Yeah. And I don't, I don't project that and put that out there to make anybody else feel uncomfortable. It's just who you are. If you want to get to know you, then you, you accept. You for, even, they may not agree with yeah. all three, but that's okay. We're not supposed to agree on everything. Yeah. What we've lost, right, is like this, like sense of like just overall respect. Yes. We don't agree, but I respect your opinion. Yes. Where is that? Well, and people forget, and it's it's always very interesting, and, and certainly in in this day and age, in twenty twenty, people forget who they're talking to. Yeah. Right. They they, <laughs> they forget they forget the context of the conversations they're having with people. 
right? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who are trying to explain the black experience in America <laughs> to me. Oh, no, it's good. No, no, no. Let me add to that. White people <laughs> that are trying to explain. That are trying to <laughs> explain this to me. And, and like, and I, I'm, I, I tend to be pretty respectful, and I'm just kind of like, eh, that's not how that works. Yeah. Like, that's ah, not, not what I've experienced. Yeah. Or you, in the context of politics, I mean, when I did the White House Fellowship, yeah. I was a political appointee in the Obama administration. Yes. And I have a number of wonderful friends and wonderful Americans who were in that administration as well and who were doing all they could to make this country a better place. Yes. And so the context with which people have conversations with me, they don't, they don't really get it. They don't really understand. Kind of like... If somebody has a conversation with me, they're not really sure because they're like, well, you were an Obama appointee but, in a nonpartisan appointment, mind you. Neither here nor there. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Oh, neither here nor there. Yeah. You were an Obama appointee, but you were in the military. So that I can see him stacking chips on one side. Yeah. Obama appointee, D. Yeah. He's in the military. Oh, ah. R. Oh. He's from Texas. R. He's black. D. <laughs> so you can see people trying to, to, to decide who I am and decide how they're going to Instead take of just me. Asking you. Rather than just asking Instead me and listening you. to me. Just and I'll you. tell you the things that I like and dislike about and it won't take a long Democrat for you to figure out that about you're a probably a little more right leaning. It won't take you long to figure it out. No. And, and, that, and you don't have to disrespect me and I don't have to disrespect you to get there. Nor do you have to make assumptions. It's okay. Yeah. You can ask. But Rene, we live in a culture where people are seeking to be offended. Oh. So if you're seeking to be offended, this conversation doesn't matter. No matter what they say, if you're going to try to find some, for for example, the guy that might say, uh, black man, I mean, I mean African-American. See, I told you. See, I want to be called an African-American. And you said black. See? Okay. 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 If, if, if you really are going to think that everybody has ill intentions then then that's then that's then you'll never get anywhere that's the buzzsaw that drew Brees got caught in oh my gosh great point because at some point you got to think about context of the person that drew Brees, as somebody in new orleans who has done so much who has done so much for the community for the black and white community the, the in community new in new orleans the context matters yes and who says it matters yeah the the context. Are you going to argue with me that, that 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 Drew Brees doesn't care about black people? Of course he does. That's the most ridiculous assertion you could ever make. Yeah. But because he chooses that, actually, I think kneeling for the flag is disrespectful to the flag, and I'm going. I'd rather stand. I just don't personally like it. He got tarred and feathered for that. Yeah. And, and since when should we get tarred and feathered for our opinion of things, <laughs> Rendon? Especially if it's a sound opinion. Yeah, it's like this is this is how it's not a ridiculous. It's 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 not about the flag. Well, the flag is involved in this, so it is a, and that's his opinion on how he wants to see it respected. And I will value somebody's opinion who kneels in front of it or who stands for it if they know what they stand for and they know what they kneel for. I don't agree with it. I don't have to agree with it. Like like that that isn't that what it's about to be an American? Would I I rather? I thought that's what. You know, you know how I feel about that. I'd rather, I would rather us take that time during that song when the flag is waving for us to think about the positives. Use that as a time of unity. That we can actually stand up for something at least for like one minute and say we're going to be one when this flag is waving. I would much rather take that attitude 
then take the some Neil, some Stan, some this, some that, and, and splice ourselves up into yeah. all these different factions. We're going to do a pirouette, which is weird. And then like, it's, it's, it, it just gets contrived. However, someone kneels during a national anthem and they have their reason and rationale for doing so. Fine. Isn't that why we went to West Point? Yeah, that's, 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 that, that's what we're willing to fight and die for. Isn't that, isn't that why we fought? Yeah. So that that person, I, I wish they would see it in a different way. But just because I wish. Well, look, I can tell you how they won't ever see it in a different way. If you yell and scream at them and tell them they're stupid <laughs> and their opinion doesn't matter, that's a that's a really good way for them to never see it in that way. Both sides. Yeah, both ways. And, and you know, another thing that kind of that gets me, and this is in the in the vein of of veterans as well as people, um, as, as well as as minority groups. People always assume that if you're not part of that group, then your opinion on something doesn't matter. Yes. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, you're not allowed to have an opinion just because you're not. I mean, we, we, have, we have presidents that have never served in the military and gave orders for thousands of people to risk their lives. Risk their lives. But, but, well, they weren't in the military, so their opinion on veteran and veteran affairs just doesn't matter. That's not, that's not accurate. That's not true. And it's the same way with – and I, I hear a, a lot of my white friends always caveat comments with that. Well, you know, my opinion of racism uh, doesn't matter. You know, I've, is, never, I've never you, – your opinion really matters. Your opinion matters it's in many instances probably more than mine. Because it's how you're treating Because it's how you're treating me. Yes. I, I actually must hear your opinion. Your opinion is actually matters a whole lot to me. Yeah. Because I'm the minority and you're the majority. It's good for me to know how you're thinking. Yeah. So please, please, don't not speak on my behalf. In fact, I want you to voice your opinion as much as you can, so we can learn something here. Yes. Because you know, you know, you know, that's, you, know you know, you know, you know, you know, the riddler said because if, if you kill him, it won't learn. You won't nothing. learn nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should be trying to learn. I, and I tell you, that's how a lot of this, uh, you know, a lot of diversity training that's been happening has has been received, right? Because in a lot of this training, it's like, I know what I think about what I see and what's been going on. I'm curious to hear how everybody else thinks about this. That's right. That's a way better, and that's a way better approach. And also, this is the, like, like, these things are not surprising to me coming up in this America. I've always been the only black person in the room. Yes. I was the only black person in my graduating class in high school. I was the only black male who was, uh, or only black male, male black in my male graduating class, class in high yes. school. Yes. I was the only black male in my White House fellowship class. Uh, I was one of two black males on my first and second ship in the Navy. Yes. You know, they, I'm the only black male in my firm at all. Like, I'm used to this, yes. and this has become a norm for me, and it's almost as if people are speaking to me as if they're trying to shed some light on what's happening. As if I haven't been the As only if I haven't lived it my, my entire, entire life. life. Yes. So this is what I hope this these kinds of conversations that we're going to have here over over time and why this podcast is, is, exists is because we want people to learn, but also we want to learn from people. Yeah. This is not just a one way street. We want feedback. We want to hear what other people think. And I can assure you that we're not going to try to be offended. No, we're going to seek to learn and seek to be better. And hopefully throughout this podcast and throughout this process, we can accomplish both. So I think we'll wrap it up on this one, uh, but it's been a pleasure. This is, the, this is the pilot one. I think there's going to be plenty more to come. I'm honored to be your brother, and I love you. I love you too. Okay, love you.